You're listening to a podcast from funnyinthemiddle.com. Hi, we dig music, and because of this, we've kept the music in our podcast at a low background level because we believe that you should support the artists by buying their records and going to their gigs. If you want to hear the songs in full, we've made Spotify playlists of all available music featured in each episode, which you can find on funnyinthemiddle.com. You can also join in the discussion on Facebook and Twitter by searching at WeDigMusicPCast. Finally, if you dig what you're hearing, please subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice, write a review if possible, and tell all your friends that you think would enjoy it. Anyway, enough of my yakking. On with the podcast. Hello and welcome to We Dig Music. Today is the letter J. I'm not Colin. And with me are <laughs> my comrades and co-hosts, Tracy. Hello. And Colin. I am Colin. Hello. Uh, each episode, I've mentioned today's episode, <laughs> but each episode we'll be picking a letter from the alphabet and then talking about a headline band and a smaller band that begin with that letter. Today we're doing Jesus and Mary Chain and Michael Jackson. Excellent. So there, on with the shenanigans. Let's talk about Jesus and Mary Chain. Jesus and Mary Chain. They're a Scottish indie band formed in East Kilbride in 1983. Are they an indie band? Yeah. I totally filed them under shoegaze. Shoegaze is a, is a sub-genre of indie. I would say overall, they're an indie band. Okay. Definitely. I, I, I'd call them indie. Well, I'd, we know you. And, and Tracy is the queen of indie. <laughs> So, well, the core of the band is brothers Jim and William Reed, and they've been backed up over the years by a revolving cast of drummers and bassists. Do they rotate? Yeah, 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 they actually rotate, kind of like a... That's Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, he's a revolving drummer. (laughs) They've got them on a spit. Yeah. Carry on. Um, So, yeah, a revolving cast of drummers (laughs) and bassists. The classic lineup, as I remember them, was with Bobby Gillespie on drums, who of course later went on to form Primal Scream, and Douglas Hart on bass. Did um, he do anything afterwards? Heroin? No, he's possibly during. Oh, now I forget the name of his current project. Actually, I should have done more research. You should have. This if is I can shocking. Make crazy. you <laughs> shocking. stumble within the first thirty seconds <laughs> in your introduction. But basically, yeah, the, if, if it's Jim and William and your granny on bongos, it's the Jesus and Mary chain. 
Or was, or, or was that the fall? That is no. If, if it's Jim and William and your granny on bongos, it's not the fall because Marquis <laughs> Smith's not there, and you need Marquis Smith and your granny on bongos for the fall. If your granny isn't on bongos, it's not the fall. No. And yes. she's. To be honest, I've seen the fall twice, and my gran wasn't playing bongos at either of those gigs. <sighs> so get... you haven't seen the fall ever. This is true. With I've, your I've own seen theory, bands claiming to be the fall. But my gran was not playing bongos at either of them. She'd probably been look, looking very, very confused if she was. <laughs> was my gran playing bongos? Uh, yes, actually, at one of the gigs. There yeah. we go. That, so if I'd have been at that one, I'd have seen the so, four, but so, you haven't seen the four. No, I think what must have happened is Marquis Smith was addressing you personally. And I wasn't At that there. point, and you weren't even there, you didn't turn up. Your nope. gran was playing a gig. At the Which Robin 2 in Bilston, and you didn't turn up. into any of my gigs. <laughs> Uh, so yeah Jesus and Mary Chain so they were championed early on by Alan McGee at Creation but their 1984 debut Psycho Candy was released on Blanco y Negro which was a subsidiary of WEA Um, basically Warner's allowed McGee to um, release records like a vanity label yeah yeah I guess um, and it, it, it meant they didn't Warner's didn't have to have their ear to the ground on Decent Indie Act, so McGee did it for them. Um, They then released five more studio albums before they disbanded in 1999. They reunited in 2007, just a tour initially, but then did another album, Damage and Joy, in 2017. Was it just to, when they initially reformed, wasn't that just to play Psycho Candy, or were they doing other stuff then? No, they, um, what was that? That big Lollapalooza type show but it wasn't Lollapalooza it was okay it's like a fest oh was it uh, All Tomorrow's Parties no it wasn't even one of those okay I really should have done my research yes 100% <laughs> I haven't done any research so <laughs> I but can't help have you heard of the Jesus and Mary Chain yes I know that's why I thought they were a shoegaze band because yeah. I like them <laughs> well I'm known for my not liking much indie but liking yes. quite a decent amount of shoegaze which is indie no. I mean, the, the thing about Mary Chain, everyone thinks they were just this band that did a lot of feedback, a lot of distortion, just a noise band. But underneath it, they've got some of the most glorious melodies and lyrics known to man. They, they, they were basically channeling um, Velvet Underground, the Ramones and the Shangri-Las. Yeah. They, they, they've got a big 60s girl group thing going on. Yeah. Yeah, um, they did. The drum beats, definitely. Oh yeah, yeah, totally that that tambourine beat. F- and Phil Spector, absolutely influenced. Wall of noise with, with added feedback. Without any of the production. Um, but I like that, the shambolic nature of it. See, uh, so far, in all of these episodes that we've recorded, I've been far too positive about all of the bands. I've essentially been the Joe Wiley of the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've I've hardly done any criticism. Today's my turn. No, really. Jesus and Mary Chain are one of those bands that people are always telling me I should like. And, and you I should. Like, I like bits of them, but I think it's a Death Cab thing for me. They they've got. Admittedly, I was too young for them when they mm. sort of first appeared. First, first sort of. Jesus and Mary Chain song I was aware of was uh, there's a track called Snake Driver which was on the Crow soundtrack yeah. which is a fucking brilliant soundtrack album probably if not the best soundtrack 
album ever, definitely the best one of the 90s. Um, you can't say that, because the Spawn soundtrack and Judgment Night came out in the 90s. They're both great, but the Crow soundtrack is better than both of them, I think. Okay. You've got Nine Inch Nails, Dead Souls on there, uh, that's their cover of a Joy Division song. You've got Burn by The Cure, which is one of the best Cure songs, and it's not on any of their other albums. Um, it's a really good album. There's a couple of rubbish tracks on there. Um, yep. There's about 12 or 13 tracks, and the Jesus and Mary Chain are about the 10th best on there. I would have said that's what how I've always thought and then the other track that I knew round about the same time if not slightly later was uh, there's a track called Cracking Up which was on Monkey yeah which was their last album before they split yeah was it Um, which was on a free CD with Select I mean I'd kind of I I think it's I'd zoned out by the time they I'd zoned out by their last two albums before Damage and Joy um, Stoned and Dethroned and Monkey, I don't know as well. I legitimately wouldn't have reckoned yeah. listened to it because I saw how it was spelled today and yeah. that's not how you spell Monkey. Isn't that how the guy from Corn spells his name? And is he not a bit of a tit? Wait, no, it's Head. He's, Head's the tit from Corn. I think most of Corn are a bit of yeah, but, a bit better. But anyway, so if Jesus and Mary Chain are your death cab for cutie, I guess uh, we're coming back to that it's frames of reference, isn't it? You it came could, to it late. It could well be, but at the same time, everybody always goes on about Psycho Candy being one of the like, you know, classic and it underground is. indie albums. I can't get past the production. The production is fucking terrible. The drums sound there, not even in, sound like they're not even in the next room. They sound like they're in like five doors down, down <laughs> the street. Um, possibly because Bobby Gillespie couldn't play the fucking drums. He so really they just, couldn't. They just turned them really low in the mix. The the guitars are massively distorted, but there's no power to them at all. They mm. they use a uh, Shinai fuzz wire pedal. See, this is why I thought there were. A, Honestly, thought it was shoegaze. Yeah, because there's a, a really basic drum beat. Then the whole song is vocal melodies and bass, and then the guitars are just well, texture, no, the, 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 which is but the, there's not really much bass coming through on Psycho Candy. It's just no, fizz. It's just it, it's it's the Shinai um, fuzz wah they used basically because it was a really cheap fuzz pedal yeah. that they'd got lying around. And now the, those pedals, people spend like ridiculous amount of money. Yep. Um, you know, we're not we're not talking Clon Centaur type money, but which is a ridiculously expensive, rare pedal. But people pay way over the odds for these pedals mm. because they get the sound that the users of Mary Chain do. And I'm just sitting there going, what? What, what you said about Bobby not being able to play drums? Um, uh, there was an interview um, with them when they played the Hacienda in the eighties. Um, they apparently turned to Bobby Gillespie's girlfriend and said, do you fancy playing drums tonight? And she says, I can't play drums. And they said, don't worry, neither can Bobby. And so they did. They went on stage with Bobby Gillespie's girlfriend playing drums for them. Now, the second... What sort of proves it for me is the second album, um, which is Darklands, I quite like because it's produced really well. You can. They've got a drum machine instead yeah. of uh, Bobby Gillespie, <laughs> and you can hear it. Um, I don't think that was self-produced. I think there was there was an actual producer brought in on that one, and because of that, you can hear the songs, and they, you know, that they've got. Um, was it April Skies on that one? 
Yes. Yeah, that's a brilliant song. I love that. It is. And that album, you can hear the guitar melodies because they're not just, they've not just turned, oh, I'm going to turn everything on to 10 on this first pedal. I mean, I don't know. I just love the chaotic, shambling nature of their early stuff. I mean, I, the, the first time I saw them was on the old Grey Whistle Test in 1985. It was their first live performance as well. I think they, I've seen they were into they, they were introduced by Andy Kershaw, um, and he hailed them as the most controversial band since the Sex Pistols. Well, there you go. That's why it's controversial, even in this room. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the controversy of Mary Chain at that point is that they were getting banned from venues because of the violent outburst. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they'd come on stage, do 15 minutes where they were basically disinter- disinterested. Um, the audience would heckle and and Jim Reed would just give abuse back. Yeah. Um, he, he was actually, when they were touring Darklands uh, in Canada, he was arrested for assaulting a member of the audience with his mic stand. Yeah, nice bloke. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of violent clashes at early gigs. No, and- I, I can definitely see particularly why you like them, because listening to... When you can actually hear the melodies coming through, so particularly on Darklands and the later stuff, they really remind me of early teenage fan club. Yeah, uh, there's, I guess. There's, I, I think they're taking influences from the same kind of area. And... Uh, it's it, the sort of guitar melodies that are coming through definitely remind me of. But you know, some of stuff. when you're a 14 year old girl living yeah. in, living in a shitty village in in Warwickshire, um, it doesn't even have to be just about the music that takes you. Because when I saw them on that whistle test performance, it was just everything. It was the clothes, the the, the shades, Bobby, the stand up drummer who couldn't drum, just the pure noise, the swagger. You know, it, it blew me away. You got, Lou, you got Lou Reed for most of that. I wasn't listening to. <laughs> I wasn't listening to Lou Reed. Actually, I was listening to Lou Reed at fourteen. <laughs> Actually, I was. But. <laughs> but I, the the bits that I do like, um, I do really quite like. It's just the fact that how, like, lauded and put on a pedestal, Psycho Candy is. I just it was a ground. It. it was a groundbreaking album at the time. Though. How was it groundbreaking? Brown <laughs> How's it groundbreaking? <laughs> because the, the way I see it, Sonic Youth were doing a similar sort of thing years earlier. They, it, it's the the use of noise and dissonance over the top of pop melodies. Sonic no, Youth, have Sonic been doing Youth that never had that kind of joy about them. I think so. I've, I've, I feel a lot more joyous <laughs> listening to Sonic Youth than I do listening to Years of Mary Jane. Definitely. But it, it wasn't British and it wasn't... It wasn't British, so... Having Alan McGee blow smoke up its ass and that's yeah. probably what it was. I, I, I think it might have... Was it that you had a sense of belonging with it, do you think? Do you think because they were British they felt more like they were your? Maybe. I almost used the word zeitgeist. It would have been appropriate, but fuck, I hate that word. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those words that pricks use. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the things I and actually... the Levelers, it was one of their albums. So yes, yeah. fair point. Fair point. <laughs> one of the things I found odd actually about Mary Chain over the years is the amount of their fan base made up of goths, because they're not in the slightest bit a goth band in any sense. But honestly, half their fans even now. You go to a Mary Chain gig and it's half goth. Well, see, 
the bits that I like, April Skies and stuff like that, were on a goth compilation. Uh, and also, see? they were on the Crow soundtrack. They're on the Crow soundtrack. But I find, but I find it inexplicable because I don't think their music is goth I, in any way. I think there was basically the, when I first heard April Skies, which was um, when I first went, ah, oh, they do have some good songs. That was on a um, goth compilation tape that. Um, our friend Lisa made for me. Oh, right. Um, she gave me a goth tape and a grunge tape in about 2000-ish. Um, and, and, and you didn't manage to get into them, even though Lisa had put them on a compilation tape for you? I, I, no, I listened to it. I, I quite like that. Because I thought, I thought at that t- time in your life, you hung off her every word. I got into all the grunge stuff and things like that then. <laughs> That was that was some low hanging fruit you tried to pick there. There were so many, there were many other things that I got into that, you know, she you jumped me right to over not it. Her past, yeah. though. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> see that's how you hit the low hanging fruit. That, that right was there. the low hanging fruit, definitely. Um, Alan McGee tends to he's got a type for bands, I think. Yeah. Bands with brothers that argue. Yeah. Because the Reeds did it way better than the Gallagher's, though. I don't know. I think the Gallagher's did it more entertainingly. Some of their, like, particularly Noel Gallagher's quotes. I well, about his brother. I can't remember where I read it, right? But it was a, a the first explanation of why Oasis were popular <laughs> that I understood. Right, and there was because in America they wish just fuck all yeah. no one cared about them in America and that's because they didn't have the personality of them in America right. they just heard the music and everyone went to check them out and then it was like what the fuck is this <laughs> like I, 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 it's really annoying that I can't remember who it was but it was an interview and he was like yeah man if I you know you'd listen to him talking about the band and saying it's the most exciting band in the world if I wasn't in this band I'd fucking love this band and then you listen to him and you're like are you sure? <laughs> and I've I've seen I see people do that all the time. Like yeah. you watch them on stage and they, and you're like, are you are you listening to your own band while you play that? Where you leap around like you're doing the most groundbreaking rock and roll shit <laughs> in the world, whereas actually it sounds like subpar Oasis. Yeah. Was was there really nothing at the time that sounded like them? Because I hear a lot of people say that, but I. I can find loads of stuff that was earlier that sounded just like it, but maybe that just wasn't in people's sort of... Perhaps that became I mean, more I mean, when you, you, you say that Sonic Youth were doing stuff like that, but the thing is, Sonic Youth weren't really that popular here at the time. Right, OK. Um, I didn't get into Sonic Youth be- until years later right. and then picked See, up on the earlier albums. It, isn't it? Yeah. Loads of... You hear loads of bands nowadays. I've probably said this a bajillion times over this podcast. You hear them, and everyone's going, "Oh my god, I've never heard anything like this in my life." And you're like, "This band, this yes, band, this, <laughs> band yeah. this band." And it's it's because not, it, well, it's all it's all it's there for the finding on, on the internet it's, now. It's original though. to those people. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, if a load of American bands were doing it, but no one over here has really heard of it, and then they went. Fucking no one's heard of these American bands. They sound pretty badass. Let's rip them off. You yeah. know, I mean, Sonic Youth weren't on the whistle test. True. So. Yeah, because yeah, they were on later, but obviously that was later. I mean, whistle. Uh, did, uh, well. Actually, no, it was the so- late Son- show. They were pre later. Sonic Youth, I didn't hear, I don't think, until maybe they were shown on Snub TV or something. Right, yeah, so that'd be. Uh, 87, 87, yeah. 87, 88. 
Um, so That's no, around so, about so, the same sort of time then, isn't it? What no, was? because I heard Mary Chain in '85. Yeah, I think okay. there was a lot more national, like international barriers. Yeah, in music uh, before internet. Yes, this is true, definitely. So no, when Mary Chain came out, no, I'd heard nothing like it. Okay. Um, you know, and this this noise, but with these beautiful melodies. Yeah. And I love the way they could be melodic one minute and then like chaotic the next. They, they've got an amazing cover version they do of um, Pink Floyd's Vegetable Man. Okay, what's that on? Um, it was the B-side to their first single. Right. Okay. And it's just a brilliant version See, of it. Early Floyd is another thing that where I was thinking, well, it's been done before with that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, they'd got the kind of fuzzed up, um, complete wash of, of noise kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. But, um, I mean, there's there was the live, uh, they, they released a live version of Psycho Candy um, a few years back from the reunion, and it's mixed properly, and you can hear drums, and it's got a proper drummer playing it. And, and I probably wouldn't love it as much I, as I love I the album. I definitely prefer that. Uh, and so, there, there are, there, there's definitely good songs in there, you're right. But then they do loads of really beautiful uh, boy-girl duets as well. Yeah. Um, they've got some on on Monkey, actually, um, Hope Sandoval features. Oh, right. Because you know she was going out with William Reed. I didn't know that. Oh, right. So, so for, she, Hope Sandoval, for people that don't know, she's the singer in Mazzy Star. They were absolutely beautiful back yeah. then. Really like. Honestly, for ages, I always thought Mazzy Star was just a solo artist called that. Because it sounds like someone's it name. It does sound like it a does. name, doesn't it? Yeah. And then you find out her real name, and that's even more beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's a much nicer name, actually. There you go. But uh, no, her and her and William Reed were together at that point. Um, um, there's a song uh, called "Perfume" on Monkey in 1998. Um, it's just beautiful. Um, but then uh, the, the the new album actually "Damage and Joy." There's uh, a, a couple of boy-girl duets, um, "Always Sad" and "The Two of Us." And yeah, it's it, it's really it's that 60s girl group it's, feel. Yeah. It, and they do it so well. Perhaps they, perhaps that's something that they always wanted to do, but when they did the first couple of albums, didn't know any girls. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why they were so angry. Yeah. <laughs> that's why they were fighting with the crowd. But, I, I mean, I never saw them live back then. Was that because you thought you'd get hit with <laughs> a microphone stand? <laughs> Probably. But I only saw them live for the first time this year, incredibly. Yeah. Um, and it was good. It was really nice to see them live, but it, it, it didn't... Hit was that... Where was that at? Was that Birmingham? Yeah. Was that the Academy? Uh, Institute. Institute, luckily. The Academy, it being the worst venue in Europe, Birmingham Academy, hate it. It really is. Was there last night? It's rubbish. It's a bit. They confiscated my energy bar. They confiscated my sherbet lemons, but that's not why I hate it. It's, just they've can't. never compet. It's rubbish. They've always let me in with anything that I've had, but it's still really, really soulless. It's it's soulless. It's the fact that the balcony's so low that unless you are in the first five rows, if you are shorter than six foot tall, which I'm considerably shorter than six foot tall, you can't see anything at all. And yep. uh, yeah, it's just rubbish. But Flaming Lips were very good when we saw them last night. Then, anyway, um, <laughs> there was a single Mary Chain did. Um, in the 90s, sidewalking, okay. which um, they kind of added another string to the bow. They sampled a hip hop beat in it. Okay. 
Okay. Um, and it's from, now I don't know my stuff on this, but it's from the hip hop single Roxa, uh, Roxanne Shanti's Roxanne's Revenge. I know of it, but I don't know the Right. Track. It's apparently infamous. Um, but Alan McGee has said that that song, Sidewalking, was actually credited as being the inspiration for My Bloody Valentine's Slow. I can see that with a drum loop. Yeah, yeah. Sort of, yeah. I've not heard uh, the Mary Chain track. But, oh, uh, you should listen to that. I did I not do. put? Did I not put that on the? Oh, perhaps I have. Then I just didn't notice it. <laughs> I, I don't really like that song. Do you not? No. Just a bit. Mm. <laughs> a bit droney. Yeah. Well, no, but not in a good way. I was going to say, a bit droney isn't going to be something that puts Ian off. No. I guess no. not. The man wearing a Court of Luna T-shirt as we record this, who. Is, was enthusing about the new Boris album. <laughs> yeah, no, I do like droney things <laughs> in general. That's what, see, that's what took me about this. There's, it is a big fucking guitar drone, not quite My Bloody Valentine, yeah. but it's still droney and I like yeah. it. Mm. I, I, I think it's, it's so similar to a lot of other things that I do like that are done better, is what sort of doesn't quite grab who do you think does it better than Jesus and Mary Jane nobody (laughs) sorry that was I tell you what the only person that does Jesus and Mary Jane better than Jesus and Mary Jane there's a Black Rebel Motorcycle Club no there's um, (laughs) there's, (laughs) ouch (laughs) I'm sorry not even I think that good they've got a couple of good songs (laughs) there's a song on automatic head on which the Pixies covered okay on Trump Le Monde and actually, the Pixies version is way better than Mary Chains. That's because they're a better band. They're a different band. <laughs> I'm not going to say better. But their cover of the Head On did have a lot more energy, and I think a lot of people prefer the Pixies doing yeah. that song. Black Rebel Motorcycle. <laughs> we are not covering them in a future episode. Well, we've already done B, but... Yeah, yes, yeah but there will be other series, yeah. But yeah, B is one of those letters where there are so many bands that we want to do. That we don't have to face doing things that we don't want <laughs> yeah. to do. Exactly. Then it's almost a way of trying to find ways to sneak um, B bands into other letters. Yep. So, yeah. Not um, so the letter K. No, no. Unless it was... Uh, yeah, no. Uh, any Anything else you particularly want to... Jabber on about? I don't think I dare. <laughs> you, I, I'm sorry, this is a safe space. You can say what you like. <laughs> Unless it's wrong. <laughs> In which case, I will let you know. <laughs> no, let's, uh, let's move on to Michael Jackson then. Jackson, uh, the king of pop, made his musical debut at the age of six in the Jackson 5 with his older brothers Jermaine, Jackie, Tito and Marlon in Gary, Indiana in 1964. After playing the Chitlin circuit for a few years, they signed a deal with Motown Records in 1969, quickly became one of the iconic label's biggest acts alongside Diana Ross, The Four Tops, Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder. 
Michael Jackson released his first solo album in 1971 when he was 13 years old, but his solo career really took off in 1979 when he released his fifth solo album, Off The Wall, followed a few years later by Thriller, which is the biggest selling album of all time, having sold over 65 million copies worldwide. There's a fair case to say that Michael Jackson was the most famous person of the 1980s and 90s, and he's the third biggest selling act of all time, beaten only by the Beatles and Elvis Presley. Um, now, for me, I, I was born in 1982, so as a young kid in the 80s, he was basically like another character, um, like He-Man, Han Solo, B.A. Baracus. If there was a Michael Jackson... I feel Jackson, like he created himself to be a character. I think there's there's part of that there, yeah. That you know, there's the whole multimedia thing where he'd got you know got the movie, he'd got. It was just ubiquitous. He was everywhere, yeah. um, and I can't remember a time. He's not. Whereas all of the other people that we've discussed, it's like where do you first hear this person? I can't remember a time. That's nearly a quote of one of his songs, um, <laughs> where I didn't know who Michael Jackson was. Yeah. Um, I think, well, he, he was famous since before all of us. Yeah. He, even before Tracy was born, so. <laughs> yep. So, uh... You I, see, I mean, there's no dispute in his influence on the entertainment industry, yeah. but I can't say I'm a fan. <laughs> um, and I don't really know why either, um, perhaps just to be contrary, but I don't know, I don't get him. Okay. There's lots of stuff that would put you off, though, isn't there? There's, there's a like if you let the personal shit. Yeah, it depends on your impression of the well, music. But, but, yeah. uh, but earlier on, I mean, of course, because I would have been listening to him way before any of that stuff hit. That's a fair point. Yeah, he wasn't you know. a child at the time you started. <laughs> yeah, and all, and all I remember are like, I don't know, shitty night, sun, shitty Sunday night discos at a workingman's club where I used to go with my parents who ran a CB club. Um, and Ben what, being like CB radio. Yeah, and stuff. that's amazing. Yeah, my mum and dad ran the local CB radio club. <laughs> they like just talk to random like Smokey and the Bandit and stuff all the time. <laughs> Something like that. Brilliant. But but they always used to play Ben at the end of the night. And yeah, well, Ben is not one of his classics. It's a well-known track, but it's not up there with the greatest stuff he's done. Whereas stuff like um, I Want You Back. Yeah. Five. I think there's a fairly good case for that being the greatest pop single ever written. Uh, I, I would argue. If Go on, make it. Wasn't the greatest pop song ever written? Then maybe. But if what? If Good Vibrations wasn't already the best pop song ever written. Okay. Yeah. No, that's that's a good, also good shout as well. Whereas I actually think the greatest pop song ever written was by Chris Montez. The more I see you. Yeah. See, the thing with pop. <laughs> It means popular, which means people have heard of it. Yep. <laughs> so that completely means that that's not in the running, because what? <laughs> it's an amazing song. Yeah, you've got to be able to put it on and people go, oh, I fucking love this song. Not, what's I this? Do. It's a good song. Or at least have heard of... Who's Chris Montez? Um, 60s American pop. Right, okay. Well, well known. Uh, well, no, possibly a bit of a one-hit wonder. <laughs> <laughs> the song's well known. It, 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 it I, honestly would I holds. Would definitely know it if I heard it? Because I don't think. 
I think you would, yes. Okay. I think that song holds the key to all pop music. Right, okay. Because no pop music was written before the 60s? Nah. It contains every secret within it, honestly. All right, of how to write that on a after good we've, After we finish song. talking yeah. about Jacko, you're putting that on. <laughs> okay. I'm ready for my mind to be blown. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to be amazing. Now, in fact, I think, basically... Let's have an announcement here. Yep. This is the last episode where we'll be doing this format of We Dig Music, yep. whereas we're picking an album each episode. Every single episode for the next... I mean, we've got, like, two more series completely yeah, yeah. planned out. We're scrapping all of that. Every episode for the next few years, it's going to be about the influence of Chris Montez <laughs> on popular music and how Maybe it has changed our lives. the format and take apart these bands' back catalogues to find where, where the Chris, Chris Montez factor has, yes. comes in. Absolutely. Let's try it now. Michael Jackson. <laughs> Tracy, take us back to Chris Montez. <laughs> you can't do it, can you? Right, okay. I'll just, okay, scrap, scrap that plan. Let's go back to the original format. Yeah. Maybe with more research we'll be able yes. to do Chris Montez <laughs> everything, but, but right now... <laughs> I, I think, I really do think I Want You Back is absolutely amazing piece of pop music that i mean that bass line um the way that the the vocal harmonies everything sort of you know all sort of weaves together um nothing's you know playing the same sort of thing in there but it's all comes together to make absolutely joyous amazing piece of three minute pop music yeah um so we started off with that and then went a bit rubbish for a little bit but then in the 80s, you know, those three albums, Off the Wall, Thriller and Bad. Yeah, I, the amount of hit singles. I had Bad and listened to it, like, relentlessly. I I realised earlier, do you, do you realise how many singles were released off each of those albums? No, I'm, I'm going to say 50% of the track list. That would seem reasonable, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'd say more. Yeah. Okay, Thriller had nine tracks, and there were seven of those tracks released as singles. Wow. Bad had ten tracks, yeah. and nine of them were released as singles. Did they not release Dirty Diana? They did release Dirty Diana. Wow. The one song that was not released as a single was my favourite track at the time off there, Speed Demon. Oh, I forgot about Speed I Demon. I loved Speed Demon, mainly because I was five years old. And it mentioned speed and demons, both things that I was like, things going faster, pretty cool, and demons are like monsters. That's pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember, the, I, this is the actual point where I learned the difference between a single and an album track, because up until then everything was just songs, and I thought everybody knows every song that I know. Yeah. Um, and there was just like Tracy was talking about the little village disco things. Yeah. Um, I went to one at. Um, uh, Polesworth Working Men's Club in must have been like 86 maybe 87 yeah. and I can remember going up to the DJ and asking him to play Speed Demon by Michael Jackson thinking everyone knows Michael Jackson so everybody's going to know every song by that and him not having it and <laughs> then my dad explaining that it's not been released as a single which is the little smaller <laughs> record so why would he have so, it? 
Why, yeah. The DJs don't tend to have those. They but, just haven't have things that are really. I mean, singles. I know you say that, that pop music is about what's popular, but is that really what makes it good? Corporate saturation, releasing nearly every track off no. an album as a single. Well, no, well, that's not what makes it good. But they were but there all were a hell good. of a lot of elements. That that's the make. thing. If you if you've got an album and someone's like, we need to release like literally all of these fucking songs. Admittedly, they weren't that's, all good. The well, first single released off Thriller was The Girl Is Mine, oh, which is no. the duet, duet with Paul McCartney, which is the worst thing either of them has ever done. And this is Paul McCartney we're I talking about. I don't know, Frog he Chorus. He did the Frog Chorus. Yeah. Right? I, I his response to people telling him he wrote too many love songs was to write a love song about it. <laughs> Fucking Paul McCartney. He's dead anyway, right? Paul McCartney. <laughs> well, yeah, th- th- that's... Um, this w- is the William Paul Finger. McCartney 2. Yeah. He's yeah. the guy that does all this stuff. So let's not besmirch <laughs> original... R.I.P. Paul McCartney. We're only going to talk about <laughs> dickhead Paul McCartney. They replaced him in the, the Beatles sequel. after yes. the car crash. I exactly. Don't, I don't like Paul McCartney Mark One either. Well, we may come to that one day and I will fight you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you don't like Jesus and Mary Chain. He's the second chain, best so. Beatle after George Harrison. Anyway. Yeah, no, this is true because John Lennon can suck a fuck. Are you, John Lennon's your oh, favourite Ring Beatle? Ringo any day. Well, Thomas the Tank Engine mm-hmm. in particular was good. And also the fact that he's the one that's coming out with the whole like McCartney's dead thing. I love that. <laughs> Has he been... Apparently so, yeah. That's brilliant. We actually, I didn't know he joined, joined in. Yeah. At a festival in the 90s, so this would be pre-mobile phone days, we actually tried to spread a rumour that Paul McCartney had indeed died. And uh, we, we were fairly did, successful for a while. Did people tell you that... We know that. That's why he's got. <laughs> that's why he's got no shoes on on the cover of Abbey Road. Everyone knows that. We started spreading it, and people believed us. But then we got our stories mixed up because someone said a train crash and someone said a plane crash. And oh, well, interesting you say that. Uh, uh, rumours going around at festivals when yeah. somebody's died. When Michael Jackson died, I was at Glastonbury, so that was where I first heard about it. But we'd first been told that Ozzy Osbourne had died. Oh, right. So we'd been given all of the exact same information, but with they changed it to Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. And it's all quite plausible, actually, yeah. because... It seems more plausible when, yeah. when you know, you'd expect Ozzy Osbourne not to still be around yeah. at the moment. Hopefully, when we put this podcast out, uh, this goes out, I think, in October or November. Yeah. Hopefully, Ozzy Osbourne is still with us, because yeah. long may he live. Indeed. Well, I've got a funny story, actually, about the news of Michael Jackson's death coming out. Um, So an unnamed friend of mine used to work for an unnamed and now defunct music retail chain. Um, And on the day that the... Virgin Megastore. And um, an an unnamed music retail retail chain. Well, HMV's still going. So... Well, on the day the news broke... Uh, the chief executive was visiting a bunch of stores. So our price had already gone by then, so it's Virgin Megastore. Right. And Jackson's number ones collection was the lead offer at three ninety nine in the sale. So the chief executive suggested they put it up to four ninety nine. What yep. with recent events. Well, my friend was saying, No, I don't like that. That's we're not doing that. And he said, No, hang on, let me go and make a phone call. And so he comes back five minutes later, having been on the phone to to, to someone else at head office. And, uh, certainly. It was and, Richard Branson. And they said, 
not a good idea. We actually copped some bad publicity for that a while back. Um, something similar when Clive Cobain died. Clive Cobain. <laughs> mm, see, now, I used to work for Virgin Megastore. I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm not going to hide the name. You used to get memos sent out whenever somebody died saying... Johnny Cash has died make sure you've got all your Johnny Cash records out on the shelves yeah they didn't put the price up but they did actively make sure it makes sense because people are going to want to buy them it's not oh you need to buy it he's dead people are going to be like oh man oh I need to buy those on CD again he was so good so yeah it's not as I I always found it a little bit putting the price up is scummy yeah I I always found it a little bit like slightly tasteless that the first thought about it was make sure we can make money out of this yeah but that is business isn't it it is it is just gotta yeah I I do remember arguing with um, the one of the managers I worked for at the time when it happened and he was being a little bit insensitive going oh brilliant we're gonna make loads of money it's like don't be a prick yeah Um, that's (laughs) but it'd be nice if they at least knew the names of the artists yes yeah definitely I mean, Cl- May- Clive- maybe someone called Clive Cobain did yeah. die. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe it was only a bit of bad press. Yeah, he's a tiny bit of bad Clive Cobain. He was, in a, <laughs> from, he was in a skiffle band from uh, Stoke on Trent. Um, all the Stokies got up in arms. <laughs> <laughs> so, going back to Michael Jackson. Yeah. Um, I found a quite interesting um, video when I was doing some research. Because he isn't... He'd got a really, really clever musical mind. Yeah. But he didn't play many instruments very much. He played a little bit of guitar and a little bit of keyboards. And the way that he used to write the songs was he used to go into the studio and he'd talk to the session guitarist. And he'd be like, this is the chord I want you to play. And he'd sing the first note, then he'd sing the second note of the chord, and then the third note. Wow. Um, and he used to hear all of it in his head, fully formed, and that's how he'd have to sort of arrange it. And there's a there's a video of um, Beat It, his like um, home studio demo of it, yeah. where it's all a cappella. So he's like beatboxing the drums, he's doing like low voice sounds for the bass and stuff like that, and it's got like five or six part vocal harmonies on it. And he's just recorded all this, and the, the only thing missing is the guitar riff. Um, I did watch that when you sent the link. Yeah, I did, and, it and just, I feel like I should have. No, it was really irritating. It wasn't meant I hate, to be I released hate, like that, though. That's, well, no, but... That's how he used to write the song, which is really, really impressive. I hate all that beatboxing stuff, though. <laughs> but that's not the point of it. No. The, the point but, was, but then I hate the way Michael Jackson, the way he uses his voice, all the ridiculous squeaks in between. Well, he, he, he didn't start doing that till fairly late on. Well, there's a, there's a legend, actually, while he was doing the recording of Billie Jean uh, with Quincy Jones. And um, Quincy Jones had apparently wanted a more paired-back vocal than... than and Jacko was just going his own way and um, Jones eventually just lost his rag and kicked shit out of Michael Jackson on the studio floor <laughs> just shouting silent motherfucker I said no squeaks well that's piqued the uh... <laughs> <laughs> sorry for the distortion there ladies and gentlemen <laughs> but, uh... 
<laughs> so I don't know. It, it's it might be urban legend, but you know, never let facts get in the way of a good story. Yeah, that is I'd, a pretty good story. I'd, I'd got this like image in my head of when Michael Jackson was recording that he'd, he'd uh, record his lead vocal first of all. Then he'd be like, "Okay, take two. We're going to record the the vocal harmonies." Um, another harmony on top of that. Okay, the next vocal track is just going to be doing weird noises. Yeah, I, I heard quite, that that was a thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd quite like to get just the individual track of just that one. No, I no could, squeaks. I did yeah. have no squeaks. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be sitting there going silent, motherfucker. I, I might make an entire track out of it if I can track one down and just, just sample it and, and cut it up. Uh, another thing in my sort of research for this, I watched the Moonwalker movie, which is something that I've never dared to do. Well, I, I watched it. I, I used to have the uh, picture storybook of it in the eighties. It was great. Um, but no, see, in the eighties, I really wanted to. And my dad was like, "You are not going to see that film because I would have to take you, and I'm not going to take you." <laughs> it's. You can tell that they gave Michael Jackson complete control over what went into that film because it makes no fucking sense whatsoever yeah so it's 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 essentially it's almost like an anthology sort of film so it starts out with a couple of just sort of normal music videos yeah then you've got um there's a bit where uh they recreate the bad video within like the dance off in the underground car park sort of oh, thing yeah. uh-huh only they recreate that with like 10 year olds interesting which is thoroughly strange yeah um then there's a bit where he's running around um like a studio lot like universal studios or something being chased by plasticine autograph hunters uh like stop motion plasticine grotesque like people chasing him okay uh, which he manages to escape them by turning into a plasticine rabbit of course uh, then it's got the um, smooth criminal section, which is the longest bit of it, which is the bit that has actually got a storyline. Yeah. Which is, Michael Jackson is in a meadow playing with his best friend's three small children. Yep. Obviously, okay. this is before the controversy had all uh, sort of come to light. Although, looking back on it, you probably wouldn't let him do that if you were a studio. Hmm. Um, one of these young children incidentally is um, Sean Lennon John Lennon's son right Right. Um, so they're playing around in this meadow with their their pet dog who runs off into a really dark cave in the middle of a meadow for some bizarre reason of course they follow the dog into this cave and stumble across a drug lord played by Joe Pesci well obviously (laughs) Um, who else are you going to get? Yeah. Um, incidentally, just going back to my previous episodes where I've been pronouncing people's names completely incorrectly. Is it Joe Pesci? Yes. Joe Pesky? I've only ever heard Pesci. Pesci. Excellent. Cool, I got one right for once. <laughs> um, so, back to Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Joe Pesci is there explaining to one of his henchmen um, with a globe covered in tarantulas... Um, that his plan is to get all of the children in the world hooked on that on drugs, um, which is heavily implied to be heroin, in order right. to make him the most famous person in the world. 
Because that's the best way to do that. Yeah, and, but obviously Michael yeah. Jackson was at that point probably the most famous person yes. in the world, so had a vested interest in stopping this exactly. from going down. Uh-huh. But but then one of the children uh, sees one of these spiders and screams, alerting Joe Pesci to her presence. She's immediately kidnapped by him. Obviously. Joe Pesci doesn't fuck around. He does not. He does not. Do not mess with Joe Pesci. I've seen him... The only person I've ever seen defeat him is Macaulay Culkin. Isn't Joe Pesci the bad... Does No, that's Dennis Hopper. I was thinking about Super Mario Wasn't Brothers. Wasn't Macaulay yeah. Culkin and one of Michael Jackson's young friends? Uh, he was. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he was in the black or white video. Mm. But yeah, um, so Joe Pesci kidnaps this uh, young girl. Michael Jackson has to go and rescue her. And then, so is that when he turns into a gangster? Nearly, nearly, oh, nearly. So Michael Jackson is is following these people round, and suddenly an entire army turns up who look exactly like the S one Ws, which is um, Public Enemy's sort of on stage security. Uh, so they've all got like high-powered assault rifles, right, and they're yeah. all chasing him through this like city street and that kind of thing. Um, the, gir- my- the girl who got kidnapped was she called Annie by any chance? No, she wasn't. Oh. Uh, Katie, I think. So but we're not tying it into the song. Not in yet. Any way. Not yet. We'll get oh. there. We okay. will get there. Right. We're probably only halfway through this segment of the uh, the film. So he runs into an alley. He's cornered. It looks like Michael Jackson is going to be killed. There are people coming into this alley with guns. Right. So he turns into a car. Ah, oh, yes. And drives back out of the alley. Um, yeah. A little bit later, sense. he's walking along, goes into a club, does the uh, smooth criminal bit with the leaning down and, and that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, then these dudes come back in. Uh, Michael Jackson kills a few people. Which you always expect Michael Jackson. Yeah. Well known for his uh, physical strength and, uh, yeah. and violence. Um, and then for the final showdown, um, he's in Joe Pesci's lair type thing. He's completely surrounded by these dudes with guns. So first of all, he screams, which makes most of these dudes with guns' heads explode inside their helmets. Yeah. Uh, he then turns into a robot. Yep, yep. Mm. And then turns into a spaceship and flies off. Right. And the children in this process have been rescued. That's just a side mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. It's just the fact that he's turned into a fucking spaceship and flown off. And they're all crying in a Amasiah has left us kind of way. But it's okay. A few days later, he comes back in a very Jesus styley. Ah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so who's Annie then? Never really comes up. You, I you about implied. That. Did he not <laughs> he heavily did, he implied? He totally that implied that, right, that well, was going to get tied in somehow. Yeah, no. They, they sing the song in that bit. but Yeah. yeah. You, you see, Smooth Criminal, I actually prefer the Alien Ant Farm Fuck version. <laughs> <laughs> and that's saying something, because Alien Ant Farm are really irritating. Yes. More so oh, specifically the bass player for yes. Alien Ant Farm. Did you see them live moment. at the same time? He makes me laugh, I've never seen them live. He just thinks he's the coolest motherfucker. I saw them at... Uh, <laughs> he really Le- does, doesn't he? And Le- I hate that. I hate him for that. <laughs> I saw them at Leeds Festival, and, and the, the bass player is possibly the most irritating man on the planet. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's like that live as well as he is in all the videos. Like I, I would throw things at him. 
if I their video, any venue their would. video for the cover of Smooth Criminal actually he, he does the, the singer does that whole leaning the thing the whole band yeah yeah, yeah, the yeah, they're, they're, yeah they're in a boxing, in a boxing ring, ring. Yeah. yeah um so we'd probably better wrap this up because this is ending up being a really, really I'm gonna, long one. I'm going to say a controversial and slightly unpopular opinion about Michael Jackson right now. Okay. I actually genuinely think that maybe he never grew out of being a child, so he probably wasn't fucking kids at all, actually. This is exactly just my... just legitimately wanted to hang out with That them. is my exact thoughts on it. Absolutely. That, like you, that fucking, that Scroobius Pip line, you shouldn't think anyone over 30 that plays with kids that aren't their own is a paedophile. Absolutely. Some people are just nice. Yes. Yeah. I think, like, there were, I think there were possibly inappropriate things happening, but yeah. I think that was because he didn't know that they were inappropriate. Yeah, because he, 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 he lived in his own little world. He'd and got no a pet one, monkey! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one said no to Michael Jackson. Yeah. He hadn't got a fucking father figure at that point in time. And the father figure that he did have used to beat the shit out of him. Exactly. So, like, it, it's like that fucking... You've seen that Kevin Smith conversation about when he did the Prince documentary, haven't yes. you? Yes. He just didn't understand... Like, Prince didn't understand that if he wanted someone to fetch him a goat at two o'clock in the morning, it couldn't happen. Because he'd never lived in a world where he couldn't ask for these yeah. things. <laughs> and if Prince was like that, who was significantly more grounded than Michael Jackson... Yes. Yeah. Which is saying something. Yeah. yeah. Just imagine... Like, I mean, the dude was fucked, clearly. But, yeah, seriously But not fucked malevolently up. fucked, I don't think. Yes, I, I don't think there was any sort of malice in anything that he, he did, really. I think he was uh, he got a massive persecution complex definitely but well yeah that's why he every, wanted to become white yeah it, really yeah well some of that is um, vitiligo oh he got vitiligo he got vitiligo allegedly, allegedly although I'm not an expert but I've uh, I've I've met people with vitiligo and it doesn't seem to do it all evenly the, the skin lightens in patches it does it's a patchy thing There's, um, um, so it may be that he got vitiligo and, and that's he was trying to counteract it or yeah. potentially got the rest of it sort of to, to match kind of I thing. thought that was a from birth thing though I don't know to be honest um, there's, there's I, I do know somebody that's got it but I have only known her for a few years uh, same I've only yeah. been dating her for a few years ah <laughs> Fair enough. Different person, though, obviously. Yes. Yeah, this is true. Um, so, yeah. Basically, I mean, we've not even got into listing the ridiculous amount of amazing songs yeah. that he's done over the years. I think he's earned his place in the Pantheon. Yes, he went completely fucking shite in the 90s. Yeah, because Earth f- Song, what the fuck? Yeah. Uh, Earth well, Song then amuses me, but uh, it's not good. Earth Song and the uh, famous Brit Awards performance where with, Jarvis, Jarvis Cocker did a stage mm. invasion because he just couldn't sit by and and watch him pretend to be this messiah um he's figure. not a messiah <laughs> he's a very <laughs> naughty <one. laughs> um but yeah generally he wrote beat it yep he wrote don't stop to don't start to get enough don't stop to get enough he wrote I, bad which is he wrote a bad tune yeah I mean yeah, uh, Billy that Jean. Horrific video he did with. Oh, they did that one with his actual sister, Janet Jackson. Oh, Scream. Yeah. That was. Yeah, that that was the f- history. That was really. I think that was quite an interesting album because it was. I'm going to release a new album, but the first disc is going to be a greatest hits album. 
and then the second disc is going to be new stuff. I don't know why anybody would bother listening to the second disc, but the first disc was fucking great. Um, and yeah. Oh, the video he did with uh, what's her face, Elvis Presley's daughter. Oh, that um, was weird. Was, that was, uh, he married her, didn't he? Priscilla or yeah. was it? No, Priscilla. Lisa, Lisa Marie. Marie. Lisa Marie. Lisa Marie. Priscilla's the one that's in Naked Gun, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that video was weird. He uh, he seemed to have a bit of a... Um, sort of, he knows... Wanting to be close to... Legends. From before yeah. he was around. Because he'd got, obviously, marrying Elvis's daughter. Yeah. And buying the Beatles catalogue. Yeah. You know, for a very long time. They've, I believe they've only just got it back. Yeah. I think somebody else had it in between, but he... For a good period of time, all of the royalties for Beatles records sold went to Michael Jackson yeah. as well, which is a genius business move if you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I quite like him. Um, I, I still, you know, do occasionally listen to some of his stuff. It's very dated, um, but that's because it was of its time, and you know, it was released. I mean, I, th- I think the '90s stuff has aged worse than the '80s stuff. I 100% agree. The, the the drum programming is you know he's kind of got like the new Jack Swing sort of sound, you know the stuff that sounds like Bobby Brown and that kind of thing in there. And then there's there's obviously a massive influence on in the '90s stuff from Public Enemy um, for um, the stuff that the Bomb Squad with Public Enemy were doing for the Beats and yeah. that kind of thing, where they're really really complicated, busy, multi-layered um, sampled beats and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's a shame he sort of tailed off at the end. But mm. for those three albums, uh, it's hard to think of a better pop artist that's had a, a run of three albums in a row. Prince, maybe. Um, Stevie Wonder. There aren't that many. No. No, not really. So, I think we're about done for that today. So, so. Yep. so the next episode will be the letter K, where we're going all Game of Thronesy because it's a clash of kings it is indeed a clash of we kings. will be talking about King Crimson and King Creosote see you next time we've been Weedig Music bye bye, bye.